Coming to you from the American College of Emergency Physicians in Boston, Massachusetts, this is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholz. I'm joined by Dr. Philip Levy. He's Professor of Emergency Medicine and Physiology and Associate Chair for Research of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He's also Chair of the ASEP Research Forum, which is going to be the focus of our discussion today. Dr. Levy, great to have you. Great to be here, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> so let's get started about the research forum. What is it? What are the goals? I'm not going to presuppose anything just to say that's to advance research, but I'm sure it's a big component of it. Yeah, so the research forum, we like to say, provides the science and the scientific assemblies. So a lot of the presentations that you'll see in the main scientific assembly are really uh, clinically-based, practice-based type presentations telling emergency physicians how they should approach things with the latest techniques or technologies or novel drugs. And what we do in the research forum is provide the science of that maybe five years ahead of time. And over the past decade or so, the research forum has really exploded to be a vehicle for early stage researchers to come and present their, their beginning work and for advanced stage researchers to come and have a larger platform to, to get out some of the novel things they're working on. Would you say that the field of emergency medicine has been an early adopter or a late adopter in that respect? It's interesting. It's typically thought of as a cowboy field, especially if you come from a specialty outside of emergency medicine. And I think emergency medicine is a, is a group of practitioners who really want to try the newest thing. They want to see uh, how they can push the, the gauntlet a little bit in terms of, of practice patterns. Provided the evidence is there, I think people are, are early adopters. I think the cowboy label you know, is, is a little misused sometimes. It's not that we're doing things that's not evidence-based or not supported, but you will see emergency physicians on the cutting edge all the time. Right. And have you come across in your own practice any particular barriers or challenges that you face as far as trying to set up, design, even envision clinical research from the emergency medicine standpoint? It's very good that you brought that up because a decade ago, 15 years ago, emergency medicine was really seen as an afterthought in large-scale clinical trials. We are not considered a subspecialty by some. We are sort of a jack-of-all-trades type of uh, profession. However, we are the first ones to touch the patient, and we're the ones that make a tremendous impact on time-sensitive conditions, but also on the subsequent clinical course. So whatever we tend to start is what tends to get continued. And for certain conditions, myocardial infarction is a great example, there is a time-dependent nature to the intervention. So Years ago, when they first started using TPA and started doing interventional therapy, it was thought, well, the patient could wait till they get to the CCU and then we can initiate everything. And then we started realizing, well, the longer you wait, the more heart muscle dies, the worse the patient does. So let's put the treatment up and up and up. And now we're at the point where we want things done within 45 minutes of arrival to the emergency department, 15 minutes of arrival for certain conditions. And we talk about the golden hour in resuscitation. And that, that is really starting to prove itself that for a number of different disease states, the time-sensitive ones like myocardial infarction, trauma, stroke, even heart failure, it's becoming known. The earlier time to intervention is better, and the best place to do that is in the emergency department with qualified emergency physicians and emergency researchers. So clearly, especially where time-sensitive issues surface, emergency medicine has been the lead-off hitter, for lack of a better term, in terms of fronting and, and moving forward with the research. Yeah, I'd say the lead-off hitter and in some cases the cleanup hitter too because the other thing that's coming to be recognized is that if you don't get to these patients early on and a certain treatment pathway has been initiated, you may miss the opportunity to actually provide a novel intervention that, that couldn't be used otherwise because maybe some of the exclusions set in because a certain pathway was started or a certain treatment was done or not done. Or the other side of the coin is that patients 
8, 10, 12 hours later are not what they were when they first presented. So if you're looking for a trial that's trying to enroll patients who have severe dyspnea, and by the time we do what we do, early aggressive intervention, they're no longer severely dyspneic, it's kind of hard to find those patients. So you have to kind of look up front. And what, what has evolved from all of this is just a large career base of, of emergency departments and emergency physicians who do research solely as, as their, uh, their primary thing. So you know, I'm, I'm an example of this. I work a handful of clinical shifts a month, but I run a large research operation with almost 60 people. So we staff two emergency departments 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year with clinical research personnel. So you show up to our emergency department, you're going to be screened for a clinical trial, whether it's an observational one or an interventional trial or just something that we want to, you know, capture some information. You're, you're, everybody's a potential eligible research patient, but not research for research's sake. But the goal is always to try and improve outcomes and improve patient care. I hear that. It sounds like a pretty unique model to me, but is it altogether uh, unique or has it been adopted in numerous other places across the country? It's growing. So our model is uh, probably more robust than other places, but again, what's being recognized is that in order to achieve the types of enrollments that a lot of these trials want nowadays, you have to have presence in the emergency department. You have to have people. You can't screen from an electronic medical record, you know, five floors away or from your home. And just like we think of cardiology interventional teams needing to come in if somebody has to go to the cath lab or neurointerventionalists, you can't always approach research that way. You can't swat in and get someone captured into a trial two, three o'clock in the morning. Nobody wants to come in just for a maybe patient. And having presence in the ER and looking at having professional researchers, people that are trained and well vetted by a hierarchy of people who've done it and learned it and know it, it makes a big difference. Well, if you're just tuning in, this is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm joined by Dr. Philip Levy, and we're talking about everything to do with research in emergency medicine, including the research forum, which I want to come back to. Please. So, Dr. Levy, obviously you practice what you preach. You've been chairing and leading the research forum. Help me understand the value equation for this research forum here. I'm so glad you asked that, because I think it's hard. A conference like ASAP is really, it's the biggest conference we have in emergency medicine, and it brings together academicians and clinicians. And having clinicians understand the value of academics can be challenging. Why should their hard-earned money and their hard-earned dues go towards supporting the research forum? I think you have to take it from several sides. I think the first thing to consider is, yeah, we're advancing science. And this is the place where we want to advance science. We want to get the input from clinicians who don't do research but can say, yeah, that matters, or that doesn't matter, or you're, you're barking up the wrong tree and this is never going to change what I do. Or at the same point in time, have people say, and we hear this a lot, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know, A, emergency physicians were doing this type of work, and B, that this is something that I will be eventually doing in my practice you know, a year, two, five years from now. I think the other side of it is that when you look at the trajectory of learning physicians in emergency medicine, you want them to have a venue where they can feel that their work is appreciated and also can be critiqued in a way that is constructive and not destructive. Uh, a lot of pure research meetings can be very, let's say, intimidating. And if you stand on a podium at American Heart Association or even Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, there is often a perspective that people are looking to show why there's holes in your research or poke holes in your research. And at the research forum here, we really encourage people who want to get involved in research are just starting or maybe kind of advancing a little bit further in their careers to get supported and to say, yeah, good job. You know, maybe you could have done it this way, but you're doing it. And we want to make sure you continue to do this and we want to help you figure out how you can do this for your career. You know, it seems like an altogether intuitive, common sense approach to be able to instill greater 
awareness, positivity, even get people motivated to do more research in this field. Yeah, and one of the things that we do to help motivate people, we highlight the best of the best that we present. We highlight research that's funded by emergency medicine itself. So the Emergency Medicine Foundation is a large funding body that uh, emergency physicians determine who gets the funding, and it's emergency medicine physicians and residents and students who are getting the, the funding and getting the mentorship to grow their research careers. But we highlight work from those individuals. We highlight work from the best of the best, as I said. But everybody who presents at the ASEP Research Forum has a moderated session, and every session is done electronically now, so no more bringing your big poster and rolling it out and carrying it on the plane. It's all done electronically, but in a way where you can get constructive feedback and, and to some degree criticism, but criticism that, that's meant to really be constructive. The other thing we do is we have state-of-the-art presentations that are given by the best of the best in emergency medicine research, and you have individuals presenting work that has become clinical practice, standard of practice, but sometimes they're talking about how they got to that point, and sometimes they're talking about how things are being modified, but you're walking away understanding what is the cutting edge? <laughs> I have to ask, how do, you, how do you organize something like that? That seems very ambitious. <laughs> it, it is. I think you have to look and see what's out there right now. What are the hot topics? What is, I don't know, I guess uh, I'm not a, a social media person. What's trending, right? So what, what things are going to be practice changing and what do people need to know? Not what's nice to know, but what do they need to know? And then flavored a little bit with the nice to know and maybe the completely esoteric that people aren't interested or didn't know they were interested, but once they hear about it, they say, oh, nah, that's kind of cool. So we have one of the abstracts that's being presented is on monitoring tweets from a conference, a concert venue to figure out what is the alcohol consumption levels. Well, you know, people start to tweet about how they're feeling as the concert goes on. You can get a sense of maybe what who's doing what and what are they doing. And when you're looking to monitor and sort of understand what are the, the new substances people may be using or abusing, that's an interesting kind of completely novel perspective that I personally would never have thought compelling had I just looked at a title of an abstract. But you delve into it and you say, wow, this is, this is really novel stuff. <laughs> it definitely does sound novel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I never would have thought that there would be such an interesting way to be able to monitor such as uh, big venue concert events, perhaps even medical conferences, what people are doing there. Right. <laughs> Hopefully they're not doing the same thing. But uh... <laughs> So tell me, what are some of the, the new things that you've seen in this year's research forum as far as the way things are being put together, who's contributing, the ideas that are coming back and forth? What strikes you, and I know you've already implied some of them, but what strikes you as fundamentally new this year? So... One thing I would highlight is that we're going to have a session tomorrow called the Primetime Practice Changers, which is a group of about 20 or 30, depending on the time, uh, that we have to present uh, abstracts that we feel will ultimately have clinical impact. And some of the things we're going to highlight in that session and some of the things that a group of us got together and decided would be impactful uh, surround using electronic medical records to help figure out are there subtle clues when a patient presents to the emergency department for downstream adverse outcomes. So, you know, we talk about that all the time, prognostication, but are there things we can do now that we have a much larger compendium of data available in electronic medical records to better predict this? So what, what has been referred to some as the crump factor, who leaves the emergency department and then has a bad outcome, or who do we think looks good on the first hour, the first six hours, and then hour 12 or 15 has a bad outcome. So using the electronic medical records to figure that for septic patients, for other conditions, is one of the things we're seeing a lot of. There's been a long push, I would say long, in, at least in, uh, 
maybe an effort and strides uh, over the past five years or so to right-size opiate prescribing patterns in the emergency department and better monitor opiate prescription use and abuse. I wouldn't necessarily abuse by the clinicians, but by patients, and using novel ways to look at interstate record transfers to try and figure that out and to better monitor practice patterns. We're seeing some really cool stuff on single-dose antibiotic administration for abscesses related to intravenous drug abuse. So those are some of the, the really cool things that have kind of popped up this time around. You know, each and every one of those could be a symposium in and of itself. Right, <laughs> so exactly. So I'm going to have to get you back to start to move in on some of those specifics there. I'd love to. <laughs> well, again, I'd like to thank Dr. Philip Levy. He's from Wayne State University School of Medicine, where he leads a number of the research arms and is actually a chair of the Department of Research. Again, thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. This is ReachMD. Feel free to come to ReachMD.com, find any podcast, video, or otherwise. And thanks, as always, for joining us.